Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Welcome to Hard Currency, the Financial Times podcast on the week's events and moves in the foreign exchange market. I'm Roger Blitz, and the week has been dominated by the Chinese renminbi, which has been going through the type of decline that seriously spooked markets a few years ago. This time, some timely words from the People's Bank of China, its central bank, has stabilised the currency's fall. But what happens if the currency resumes its decline? And in Euroland, after some upbeat data and talk about the European Central Bank perhaps having hiked or talking about hiking rates too late, could the euro be about to rally once again? Well, with me to discuss all this is Stephen Gallo, Forex strategist at Bank of Montreal. Stephen, let's start with the renminbi, the falls. Let's talk about the causes. What's behind this fall? Is it accumulation of factors? Our best judgment based on things that we look at, the way that the PBOC behaves towards setting the dollar CNY mid-rate, a number of other factors, our best judgment is this has been a largely an orchestrated move by, by PBOC. It probably has something to do with the rhetoric on trade coming out of the U.S. It may have a little bit to do with the slowing Chinese economy. But let's just rewind for a moment and think about this in the context of what happened in 2015. In 2015, the deceleration was probably more marked and the weakness in asset prices domestically in China more significant. And whilst this was going on, capital flows automatically started to leave the country. So effectively, PBOC lost control of the currency then and had to let it go. This time around, we're led to believe that restrictions and oversight on outbound flows are tighter. And the deceleration probably has not been quite as severe, the deceleration that is in China's growth. So we think the move is largely orchestrated by them. But that's not to say that there aren't risks here. So, Stephen, when you talk about the PBOC orchestrating it, are they orchestrating a fall in the renminbi because of its worries about uh, the, the Chinese economy or is it really the trade tariff issue? I think the important thing to understand about China is that the credit cycle and growth are largely managed themes in China. So they're managed by the authorities. They have control over the credit cycle. They usher in periods of deleveraging and releveraging. Right now, China is probably on balance, or they have been in a period of deleveraging. So when you throw the trade situation into the mix, it's potentially a very bad time for them. Uh, And so we have to think, number one, if we're China going into these negotiations where they'll probably have to make concessions to the U.S. anyway, do they want a very strong currency when they do that, or do they want a little bit of a weaker currency? Probably they want to go into the discussions with a somewhat weaker currency. And the interesting thing about it, and you know, on this theme of orchestrated move, is if you look at the uh, dollar RMB, dollar CNH, it stopped basically at 670. Yes. So that's their line in the sand in dollar RMB. And if you look at the trade-weighted RMB, in late May, it was up about 3 3.5% year-to-date. It's now flat 
year to date. So they've orchestrated the move away from 670 just as the trade-weighted RMB was going flat for the year. Okay. So that suggests to us that you know they're looking at these levels closely. Okay. Is it working or is it too early to tell? And what did you make of the market's reaction to it? And actually the way that the PBSC communicated it, sure. which was quite a heavy verbal intervention operation. Sure. I would say verbal intervention, the market got the message and dollar RMB backed away from 670 nicely. The issue for China like most emerging markets, is that there's going to be a period when the authorities can control the exchange rate the way they want it, and there could be periods where they're not able. Uh, In the case of an emerging market, any economic agents uh, or, or citizens that have access to foreign currency will go and convert their domestic currency into that foreign currency if they think the government is going to seriously devalue. And that's the point where the currency starts to run away from the central bank. We're not at that point yet in the RMB, and I think that's why they've had some success in pulling dollar RMB back from the 670 level. But the point is we could get there. So it's not like 2015, 16, there's better protection uh, from the PBOC. Uh, But uh, in terms of do you think that the market is going to try and challenge the PBC? Do you think hedge funds might try and short uh, the renminbi? Or is, it, is the market not minded to? The market would rather see a, a you know still a calm renminbi in terms of broader issues. Right now, as the move back down towards the 660 area and the moderation and RMB weakness this week suggests right now, PBOC is in control of the exchange rate. So if they wanted to flush out speculators now who are shorting it, they, they'd have more success. If they had let this go a lot further in a very short space of time, they might have lost that leverage. Um, uh, right now, I, I think speculators will lock and load again, and they will be going long dollars versus the RMB. As we head towards the U.S. midterms and as we head into these negotiations between China and the U.S. Okay. Um, let's, let's look at uh, the euro. Uh, Donald Trump is in town uh, next week in um, Europe and in the U.K., or is that the same thing? Um, do, do you, um, do, did you think that the better data that came out of um, Germany this week, the factory orders, is, is, is kind of what we expected um, and that the market can now start a push higher against the euro? Or are there countervailing factors inevitably, such as um, the, the, Fed pos- the Fed position on rates and also, also the jobs story, which we're going to hear about on Friday morning? So our view is that the reaction in the dollar and the weakness in European currencies in Q2 uh, has largely been an overestimation or an extrapolation by the FX markets about yeah. the soft patch that was evident in Q1. Yeah. There was clearly a soft patch in global growth and European growth. Uh, in, in in Q1. But what I think, and you're alluding to this as well in your comments, what I think the PMI suggests is that still growth is pretty much at the global level and in the European level, it's pretty much intact. And it paves the way, in our view, for central banks besides the Fed to continue normalizing policy. And we still think, despite this strength that we've had in the dollar in Q2, that is going to be the bigger story for the next 12 months. The Fed is getting closer to the end of its cycle, and other central banks are converging towards the Fed's monetary policy stance. They're not necessarily going to match it with their level of rates, but when you see a central bank like the ECB all but committing to ending outright purchases and now and now even starting to debate the timing of the first rate hike i'm sorry you can't call that 
central bank policy divergence. That's convergence. Okay, coming into that a bit more detail. Um, obviously, we had Draghi last month saying, yes, we're, we're going to go down this route, but we can't see us raising hikes until uh, raising rates until Q4, perhaps, of 2019. And we had this story out on Wednesday about actually maybe some policymakers saying, you know, maybe that's not soon enough. Did Draghi get his communication wrong with the market? He intervened verbally and changed the language around enough that he knew he was not going to get a stronger euro. I think he probably got more euro weakness than he bargained for on that very day, and which is why at Sintra and since Sintra... Right, this at, is Portugal, the, uh, uh, the uh, gathering uh, of central bank. Correct. Um, and since then, you've generally seen eurozone policymakers uh, not trying to magnify the impact of his move. What does that mean in, in, in sort of layman's parlance? They're trying to park euro dollar slightly above 115. Yeah. Uh, They don't want a lot more weakness now. But if you look, I mean, just look at the facts. Look at how flat the Eurobor curve is already. Look at how flat the OIS curve is already. If anything, the risk there is that we have to start thinking about the timing of the first rate hike being sooner, not later. And that's euro supportive. Uh, We still think heading into year end, for various reasons, politics being one of them, uh, the euro is going to remain below 120. But we think the evidence increased, there's increasing evidence that it's starting to stabilize it around these levels, call it 115, 117. And and it's ratcheting up elsewhere, isn't it? I mean, we had the Riksbank, you know, being quite hawkish on inflation at the beginning of the week. We had Mark Carney being quite hawkish, read the BOE. Next week, we've got... uh, Bank of Canada, have we have we not? Is is is, right. is that also right. likely to keep keep the the the, the move towards yeah. uh, higher rates yeah, going? We think so, and and by and large, we think the Bank of Canada's view on NAFTA is that there are risks there, but they don't really know how to quantify these. And in the meantime, their models on inflation, wages, slack, spare capacity are telling them you need to be normalizing policy. And so we think they move in July. They have a window. Similarly to the BOE, I mean, you you see a similar wage and price dynamic in the UK, tightness of the labor market. Um, You know, Q1 was was a bit of a a rough patch, but we're seeing evidence that it was temporary. They need to normalize when they have the window. Now, in the BOE's case, August may very well be the last window of opportunity they have before uh, the Brexit clock really starts to uh, get into its final hours. So, um, so effectively, just to conclude, Stephen, we're, we're on in terms of policy normalization, we're, we're pretty much back to where we were at the start of the year. Right. Uh, what what's happened is effectively we've lost six months or so um, because of uh, <laughs> this, this slowdown, which is actually not great. You know, I mean, central banks, you know, don't have all the time in the world to to get rates above you know this this zero bound range. Um, so. Um, it's perhaps what we can con- can we conclude that actually central banks have been just not brave enough, too cautious, you know, too too reliant on some pretty difficult data that that was that yes, was definitely, temporary. Difficult, dif- definitely difficulty in in parsing through the data and reading it and trying to get an accurate uh, assessment of what's yeah. uh, what's going on. Um, but as far as the FX market's concerned, let's not forget that the, the rally in the dollar in Q two was partially caused by those central banks, those very central banks trying to resist dollar weakness. And now I think they've had a little bit too much dollar strength in the opposite direction. And so you're starting to see, well, you've been seeing them them continuing to show markets that, look, the path is clear. 
we want to normalise. They want a perfect world and they should have been braver, perhaps. <laughs> and my thanks to Stephen Gallo of Bank of Montreal. This time next week, who knows where we will be? Will the UK government have fallen apart over Brexit? Will Donald Trump upset the NATO apple cart? Will he get a hostile reception on his visit to the UK? Will football really be coming home? The anticipation is killing me. Join us again for Hard Currency. Until next week, it's goodbye. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.